Today, I had the privilege of interviewing the incredible Ruby Warrington. Ruby is a British writer and thought leader currently living in Brooklyn, New York, and she has started the Sober Curious Movement. The Sober Curious Movement is all about offering an eye-opening new way to think about our relationship with alcohol. Sober Curious, her new book, reveals the enormous benefits that come from unlearning the mindless habit of drinking and embracing the life-enhancing choice of sobriety. It creates greater joy, clarity, confidence, and connection. Ruby Warrington was the feature former editor of the UK Sunday Times Style magazine when she launched The Numinous, which is a cosmic lifestyle platform that updates all things new age for the life in the now age. Ruby also works as a consultant, while other projects include Sober Curious event series from Club Soda NYC and spiritual coaching program Moon Club. She's the author of Material Girl, Mystical World, and her new book, Sober Curious, is just recently launched in December 2018. Today's conversation dives into demystifying the myths of our drinking culture, how we can learn how to cultivate conscious drinking choices, how we can learn to experience life at a higher level without the need of alcohol, allowing space to investigate what happens when we reframe our relationship with alcohol to remove some of the stigma that exists around sobriety and alcohol abuse, our biggest fears of not drinking and how it affects our relationships and our lives, that what if having a problem with alcohol didn't automatically actually make you an alcoholic? What if it was cooler not to drink and far from boring? What if consciously choosing a more sober life meant having more of a high more of the time? We also dive into creating an understanding with our inner knowing so we can start to trust ourselves, trust our intuition and have confidence that is true and not alcohol fueled. It is such a great conversation, but I would love to hear your thoughts about being sober curious. So please share with me on social media the impact that this episode has had on you. The Next Level Life podcast by Christine Corcoran is for all heart-centered entrepreneurs who want to up-level their mindset, motivation, and business to make a positive and meaningful impact in the world today. So if you love what you do and want to hear from inspiring thought leaders and successful business owners where we have real conversations and real connections, then this is for you. I want to assist you in finding the clarity and awareness you need to up-level your mindset and set your soul on fire to take massive aligned action in your business so you can take your life to the next level. Ready to get started? Let's go. Welcome to the next episode of the Next Level Life podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by my business empowerment program. It is a nine-week one-on-one business coaching program designed to take your business and life to the next level. So if you are a coach, consultant, or service provider, and really want to take your business from static to successful, if you feel like you're hitting a plateau, feeling stuck and overwhelmed, and really not sure what your next step is, then head across to my website at periscopecoaching.com.au and check out the business coaching section. And you can find all my free resources there and more information about my business coaching empowerment program. So with that said, let's jump into the episode. Well, thank you so much for joining me this morning, Ruby. I am so grateful that you've had the, had the opportunity to join me today to talk all about your new book. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It is my absolute pleasure. And I'm so excited to get into this conversation because I think, as I mentioned in my email, that it's so pertinent that we talk about sobriety and also talk about the, the way that we experience alcohol in our everyday life and that it's not about being an alcoholic. It's about recognizing where alcohol plays a part in our lives and what we're possibly hiding from. 
And I think that's really important for, especially in Australia here, we have a very different culture when it comes to alcohol. So I would love just to, just to get started, I would love to hear your story and where you began and where the story of Sober Curious came to you. Um, so I'm British. I'm based in New York here now and I've been here for seven years. And um, speaking of different kinds of the way that different cultures use alcohol, I think that um, Britain is probably somewhere in between America and Australia, perhaps, um, but probably quite, possibly quite close to the drinking culture that you would have as well. In the UK, alcohol and drinking is very, very much interwoven with the fabric of life. It's just like what people do. And that is this in the US, yes. However, not quite to the same extent. Um, al drinking and alcohol in the US is still seen as quite sort of hedonistic. And there's a lot more perhaps probably binge drinking. Whereas in England, it's kind of an all day, every day and not in the sort of health, quote unquote healthy Mediterranean way where it's like a glass of wine at lunch. It's like, no, pints in the afternoon. As soon as you're not working, you're drinking. As soon as you're not working, as soon as there's a tools down, whether it's on holiday, whether it's after work, whether it's the weekend, alcohol is just the ever present so situation. So that as a backdrop to say that my, um, my drinking habits were very normal by British standards, meaning I drank you know, three or four nights a week, um, often to excess. And when I say excess to, I mean, I mean, to a state of drunkenness. And that was completely normalized. And there was never at any point in my adult life, any reason to question whether the way that I was drinking was in any way problematic. And so that was very much a kind of like a realization I had to come to on my own. Um, and as we also know, as soon as you start thinking that your drinking might be problematic, well, then that place can place you in, an, in, in a very distinctive box that is marked alcoholic, that is marked problem drinking, that is marked, okay, now you need to go to AA because you have a problem with alcohol. And so now you, now you are placed over here in this box. <laughs> um, and I think that possibly this is, you know, a journey that will be familiar to many people. My drinking wasn't a problem in terms of the standards of the society that I was brought up in. And yet for me personally, about eight or nine years ago now, I began to draw, start drawing very distinctive lines between, oh, when I drink, particularly when I drink to excess, but even actually, honestly, anytime I drink, I am going to feel anxious afterwards. I'm, this hangover is going to be more than just a headache. This is going to be a feeling that stays with me for days afterwards that is directly attributed to my drinking and that's having a knock-on ne negative impact in every area of my life, from my physical well-being to my motivation to my productivity to my relationships to my self-confidence. It really became very began to become very clear to me that the way I was drinking was directly impacting many areas of my life in a negative way um and yet when i thought about well what how what do i do about this how do i talk about this the only option available to me seemed to be aa and yet i wasn't drinking every day i wasn't drinking excessively every day i didn't ever feel like i needed a drink i didn't wasn't getting the shakes there weren't physical kind of ramifications from drinking like that and so it wasn't class, I, like out of control it wasn't classed as out of control. No, there would, I definitely didn't have uncontrollable urges to drink. You know, it wasn't like a constant daily battle, which is what I understood people who were in AA were 
mm. encountering. So I found myself in this kind of strange limbo land gray area with drinking. And that's when I got what I call sober curious. And I decided to, it almost, it wasn't a conscious decision. What I found myself doing was bringing a questioning mind to any and all situation where alcohol would be present, you know? And the questions I began asking were, how is this really going to make me feel? Like, is it really going to bring me the joy and relaxation and connection that I'm desiring? Or is it actually going to make me feel kind of lost and a bit fuzzy and confused and tired? Um, how is it going to make me feel the day after? The day after that, like, is the, is the, is the couple of hours of relaxation or release that I might get from this drink really worth the inevitable like three days of not really being on my groove that are going to follow it so bringing these questions to my drinking and that's what I started to call being sober curious so I was like getting curious about all of these things you know rather than judging myself or labeling myself this or that it was about really questioning and from there getting really honest with my answers and that can that's almost like the trickier part it's one thing to have the questions but to then get really honest about the answers um is where the deeper kind of level of self-inquiry um comes in i suppose but i was on that questioning path for a few years before i began to actually talk openly about it and write about it on my website um, and I began hosting events around it about three years ago and getting much more committed to talking about this openly as a way of destigmatizing mm. the conversation around addiction or alcoholism you know um, what I had experienced was that yeah we have a lot of um, preconceptions about people who have a quote unquote problem with drinking, you know, or who are questioning their drinking. Mm. And it seemed to me that that was perhaps because I knew it had prevented me from like confronting the issues that I'd, that I'd had with drinking, or the conflicted relationship I had with drinking. And I felt that it couldn't help but be having a similar kind of prohibitive effect on other people. So yeah, the whole mission was sober curious really is to kind of like bring this conversation out into the open. As you said, like it's so important for us to talk about alcohol and the role it has in our lives because often if you are a quote-unquote normal drinker it's only actually when you remove the alcohol that you realize what a huge impact it's been having you're smiling I don't know if you've experienced this in your life but it's actually only when you stop that you're like oh my goodness my whole adult life I was running on like 60% battery and I didn't even realize you know yeah, absolutely and I think like when I I had a similar journey and I think it was possibly, I was trying to work it out this morning, actually, like how long ago it was that I started having those same questioning. Like, is this really worth it? If I have three wines at dinner tonight, like what is the point? Like, is this, is there a benefit to it? What's, what am I getting out of this? It just because I'm, I'm going to feel terrible tomorrow. And knowing that that's okay to have that conversation with yourself without it being a health kick either. Like in Australia, when I started talking about like, really not in the mood for having a drink tonight. I'm not going to drink. And it was noticing the effect that it had on other people that I wasn't drinking either. But yeah. also like, the reaction was almost like, oh, you want a health kick? Like it was kind of like, well, yeah. why is that a negative thing? Like it's, it was so interesting. And I was even noticing like, I remember like distinctly a dinner party that I went to and I was like, I had two wines. And I decided before that that I'd had like, I think it was probably two or three weeks where I decided I wasn't going to drink during the week because that was a thing. We had wine after work and 
decided that I'm going to stop doing that. So this was a Friday night and I went and I hadn't drank all week and I had two glasses of wine. And I remember distinctly sitting there going, like saying things to my friends and going, who are you? Like, you don't say that. You don't like, what are you doing? Like, what is this? And noticing that I didn't like who I was when I was drinking. Like it was so fascinating. And I, same situation. Like I didn't think of myself as an alcoholic. I don't think I had a problem with alcohol, but just didn't like who I was on it. Mm. Well, that's then we can sort of take a step back and very non-judgmentally say, well, define problem. Perhaps it is a problem if you don't like the person you are when you're drunk, you know, actually, actually, oh, perhaps it's a problem that alcohol gives us a hangover. Perhaps having a hangover could also be seen as a problem. Pretty good feedback. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, well, it's very good feedback. As I talk about in my book, I'm like, if there was, if you ever, ever had food poisoning, chances are you've had a hard time going back to eating that thing that poisoned you and made you vomit for a day afterwards and like gave you a hangover and you couldn't think about it without feeling nauseous. And I would, I would, I would estimate that many people who consider themselves kind of regular social drinkers have had hangovers that feel that way. And yet the opposite, it's not like what we're taught is like, Oh, get back on it. That'll make you feel better. Yeah. (laughs) It's just completely illogical once you actually step out of the construct of this kind of like drinking culture that we live in. You start question, start looking at it like you were describing with, from this objective standpoint of mm. what's really going on here if I remove all of my emotional attachments and I step outside of the conditioning around it. Then what's really happening? Very, it, it, very, it very quickly begins to make not very much sense, the fact mm. that we use alcohol expecting to get some one thing when time and again evidence will show us that we get something very different mm, so for that short high yeah. you know for the one little benefit that we get or the numbingness or the avoidance of not wanting to feel or kind of let go of our inhibitions like what's the payoff for that like is there a payoff it's interesting exactly and i think that for many of us like actually the discomfort that we are using alcohol to mask, whether it's social awkwardness, social anxiety, whether it's boredom, whether it's um, feeling, you know, tired, they're actually very minor discomforts. And it's like, can't we actually just like be with that? Why are we so afraid of discomfort? Yeah. Why are we so soft and so kind of like unable to withstand these small minor discomforts that we're willing to that we're willing to kind of like pay the inevitable price of this of a hangover or of losing our productivity for three days or of not feeling connected to our intuition or our spiritual self as a result of that of using that substance Mm. how come we're so willing to sacrifice all of that for the sake of like a few hours of a minor discomfort you know Mm. it's really fascinating but it's so normal for everyone to avoid like all those dumbing effects that we use whether it be food or whether it be sex or whether it be porn or whether it be you know like the drinking like there's all all different forms of numbing for sure so Mm -hmm. i would love two different questions there one i would love to know how you handled the effect that you're not drinking had on other people and how you handled those situations maybe we'll start there that's a good first thing a lot of people want to know because I think it's actually in fact there was a there's a British organization called one year no beer um and they do this year-long challenge and it's very much aimed at the kind of like men who are sober curious because their thinking is like men love a challenge like 
make it seem like it's this macho thing to do a year, one year, no beer. And I think that's quite good sort of like reverse psychology. <laughs> um, and they did, they commissioned some research that showed, and I think within their research, it showed for 93% of people, the peer pressure, the inevitable peer pressure to drink is the number one thing that will deter them or stop them from being sober curious or stop them from taking a break. Because again, there's so much discomfort around like, oh, how am I going to answer those questions? Am I going to feel really bad that I'm letting everyone else down by not drinking? I'm ruining everyone else's night or they're going to think I'm boring or they're going to think I'm judgmental, like all of those questions. And it can be one of the most, because all we really want to do is fit in and be liked and be loved. You know, that's such a deep need in us um, that confronting that can be very challenging. So how have I dealt with it? Well, one thing is just really always bringing it back to me and this being about like really actually vocalizing to people. I'm just, I'm doing this for me because it makes it's making me feel better. Honestly, I have no judge. I'm not judging. I have nothing against people wanting to drink, like actually stating that because I think what immediately comes up for people is like, are you judging me? Do you think I'm like a drunken fool? Like, are you kind of like placing a judgment on me is why people get shirty about it. I think so just actually vocalizing. I have no problem with any of you guys drinking. You do you like for me tonight. I just need not to like, just don't mind me. You could do you. It's totally fine. Saying that is actually really, really helpful for everyone, I think. Um, and also just like not making up excuses about it. Like yeah. being real. Actually, I, I've got friends who, you know, there's a, there can come a phase once you've kind of like confronted that and are feeling more confident about it. My friend, Tony, she's like, yeah, I've kind of gotten to the point where like, if someone says to me, you know, why aren't you drinking? I'll respond like, well, why are you? <laughs> and actually turn it around. Why are you drink? Why are you? You know, if you really want to talk about it, like let's have a conversation about it, which is obviously wow. a slightly more confrontational way to go about things, but it's also perfectly valid because if someone really feels like it's okay for them to like probe you and question you, why aren't you drinking? What's wrong? Huh? You, you're absolutely within your right to turn it back on them and go, well, why are you drinking? Do you need to have a drink to feel relaxed? Like, what's that all about? Not in a judgmental way, but let's actually talk about it. Yeah, why do we feel that we need to have a drink to relax? I'm curious, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> there are multiple different ways you can handle it. Another one is just to really, like, I've been in situations where if it's getting, if it's making me feel uncomfortable, I'll literally just leave. Mm -hmm. You know, I can always just like take myself home. And that's another great thing about not drinking. I always know how I'm going to get home. I leave exactly when I want to leave. I'm never in that awkward situation of like, oh, I guess I'll have another one just to kind of like, I've got to be here for another hour. You know, I'm like, no, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to leave. <laughs> you guys are making me feel comfortable. Bye. <laughs> and I'm going to wake up and I'm going to feel good. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to meet my deadlines. Yeah, not so absolutely. Smart, not smart over here. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you said like bringing it back to what it is for you rather than placing that judgment on others because I found that worked really well as well. Like it was, and sometimes it was just having a drink, whether it be non-alcoholic, even having something in your hand made other people feel comfortable. It was so interesting. And then I had, a, had another group of friends that were like, oh, we'll just wait till you're drinking again and then we'll catch up. And I was like, interesting from so many people like it makes and you really recognize like your friend groups and what how you yeah. interact with them and whether it is surface level or whether it is something that like do you really want to be friends with these people i think if someone says something like that 
you can be like, well, hey, we could always, why don't we go for a lunch or something? I still want to catch up with you. I'd love, got loads going on. I'd love to share it. Why don't we just go for a juice and, you know, and, and actually start, see, start socializing with people in different kinds of environments and initiating that. Mm-hmm. And then if you find yourself in that situation and without a drink, you've actually got nothing to say to each other. That's again, it's very telling about like, is this someone I really want to spend time with, mm-hmm. like spend my energy on, you know? And then I guess, and then that can be fearful for people as well. Cause it's like, well, if all of my friendships revolve around alcohol, does that mean I'm going to be completely alone and not have any friends if I no longer drink? And what I've consistently seen in my own life and with other people in my community who are walking this path is that there are other people just waiting to come in. Once you start really showing up for yourself in a way that feels authentic and true and, 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 and putting yourself in different kinds of environments and reaching out to different people on social media, the, the new people that are aligned with where you're, where you're at are going to start, they're going to be magnetized to you. That's just like, it's almost like the law, it's just the law of attraction, right? It's the way that it works. You start showing up for yourself in a different way and other new people are going to show up for you as well. I love that. That's for sure happened for me. I've had so many friends come into my life in the last two years that have been, that literally just don't drink and we don't even talk about it. Yeah. It's fascinating. And it kind of happens because my, like when I moved to New York seven years ago, I was already a couple of years into this questioning and I'd been cutting back, but it was, it was difficult, not difficult. Like it was challenging for me to not drink, but so much of my social life revolved around alcohol that I was constantly around that. And so I would just continue to drink, you know? Mm. Um, and it, it's almost like the opportunities weren't, there weren't, I didn't even really know where to find other ways to socialize or other ways to do it. So I just wound up socializing and drinking in the same way, even though I knew I didn't really want to. But when I moved to New York, I started working on The Numinous, which is my online magazine that's all about modern spirituality. And I really threw myself into the kind of, that kind of scene here. And as a newbie, as an outsider, like I was completely, I had completely free reign to just kind of almost create or cultivate a completely new social circle for myself. And, but I think you could, anyone can do that at any point. You know, it might be that you've got your one group of friends and you're very used to this, but more and more so, like wherever you are in the world, there's good, there are alternative options and you can have that, take that, bring that beginner's mindset to your social life at any point. I just had a really obvious kind of like example of it because I moved to New York, but you can do that in your town. Yeah. You're like, I'm just, I'm just going to like go to that gong bath and like, who knows? I don't know anyone. I don't, that's okay. <laughs> and not drink at the same time. Oh my God. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's what I found. I found myself going to all these kind of like, healing circles, breathwork ceremonies, Kundalini yoga workshops, and having an amazing time getting many of the things I was looking for or had been looking for in alcohol, like relaxation, transcendence, like kind of quite trippy experiences sometimes through some of these practices and meeting people and having a social experience and alcohol nowhere to be found. So it it started to help me see that alcohol wasn't a necessary component of having mm. a really vibrant social life. It's Isn't just it? that in the circles I had been moving in, it was always there, but it wasn't necessary for having a social life. Mm. And there are other people out there that don't drink excessively either. 
<laughs> exactly. And when you're used to, when it's so conditioned and so programmed into you that that's what we do, largely because of the social circles you're moving in, it's very, I remember when I started, when I first started getting sober curious, like, well, what else is there? What else is there to do apart from drink? Yeah. And now I'm kind of like, wow, that's such a, it's such a small and narrow path, you know, to think that that's the only way we can socialize. There's actually so much else going on. And especially now, and I have to say it's getting easier because actually, you know, there are now here in New York, there's a, a dedicated zero proof bar just opened that has really sophisticated, fancy cocktail menu, delicious drinks, really beautiful environment, no alcohol on the menu. Um, that just opened two weeks ago. Um, there's one in Austin, Texas as well. There's one in London now called Redemption. So there are these kind of options springing up, which didn't exist even a year ago. Mm. Which goes to show that there's more people out there that are wanting to have a life where they're not surrounded by alcohol or induced by it. Um, I would imagine that through your experience, through that journey of, of removing alcohol from your experience, there would have been a lot of mindfulness work that you would have done. Is there any, because I mean, when you remove that numbing, we're then attuned to all the thoughts that we have and we're attuned to certain behaviours that we have and what we're using alcohol for to numb. So is there any key work that you did? Is there any sort of experiences that you went through to sort of do that work? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I mentioned that I started this magazine, The Numinous, when I moved to New York, and I really threw myself into everything from astrology and the tarot through having a daily yoga practice, daily meditation practice. I had various kind of like, worked with various different healers from hypnotherapists to shamanic healers. And it's, it's, so it's a kind of a combination of the, all of those things, which I actually wrote about in my first book, Material Girl, Mystical World, but I think have contributed to this. I suppose one thing that's really, the yoga and the meditation have been very consistent throughout. And I see them as almost two forms of the same kind of work, which is like you said, it's a kind of a mindful, this idea of mindfulness. And when I think about what that actually is, it means cultivating an awareness of myself that's beyond my thoughts and beyond the conditioning of the kind of like cultural messaging that I'm receiving, being bombarded with daily, day in, day out, mm -hmm. and having a daily practice that actually reminds me and brings me back to this essential self that is beyond all of that. And so that when I'm in situations where the external conditioning is telling me, you need alcohol, you drink in this kind of a situation, X person's not gonna like you if you don't drink, I know that I can come back to this part of myself because I'm connected to it daily, that knows none of that is true. <laughs> so it's easier for me to just go, no, no, that's actually not the case. That's not reality. This, this essential self is reality, is the only reality there is. I learned, I learned transcendental meditation um, three years ago, and that's the one that stuck. And I haven't missed a day in three years. I just do 20 minutes as soon as I wake up in the morning. Um, so yeah, that's been the one that stuck for me. Mm, nice, nice. And so then you went about creating Club Soda. I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about Club yeah. Soda. So Club Soda is um, an event series, an occasional event series. They've been sporadic sort of three or four times a year over the past three years. Because like I said, I really got to a point where I realized that outside of AA, 
there were very little play there was very little opportunity for people to actually come together and discuss openly some of our conflicted feelings about alcohol and the different experiences we were having around alcohol and so i created club soda to be that space the soda in this instance stands for sober or debating abstinence and they've just been, you know, we have group meditations, we've had panel discussions featuring all kinds of different people in, in this space with very different experiences of sobriety, of drinking. Um, we have, we've had dance parties, we do kind of interactive games sometimes. So yeah, they've been really, really all quite different. Um, and yeah, it's been about the past three years we've been hosting them. Awesome. They sound great. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and, and now that you've launched your book, Sober Curious, I'd love to know, is there any key things that you get asked a lot? Like, is there anything that frequently gets asked that's really, you've come to see as a bit of a pattern that society is talking about? Well, definitely the thing about how is this going to impact my relationships? That is pretty much the number one thing that people are curious about or concerned about. And I think it just, that's such insight into how deeply interwoven alcohol is into all of our relationships whether it's with our friends colleagues at work whether it's our family relationships whether it's our spouse or partner alcohol is something it's the social lubricant and it's interwoven into all of those interactions and i think on a white on a kind of panned out even a little bit further it shows how important connection and relationships are to us mm. and how desperately desperately but how how much we need deep emotional vulnerable connections and how much we perceive alcohol is going to help us connect more deeply with people and my experience and that of everyone i know who has got sober curious kind of in my sphere is that actually when when we remove alcohol and we find ways to have vulnerable intimate connections with people without alcohol they are so much deeper our relationships kind of like reach this complete new level of depth that wasn't available to us before um yeah it's almost like i kind of describe it as almost like this this meshing this meshing that happens when you're relating to someone or connecting with someone and there's no veil of alcohol you actually get to feel all of the feelings that are happening while that connection's happening, as well as the kind of like mental and the communication piece. There's like a feeling piece that you can't really describe it. You can't really quantify it, but it's happening. And mm. um, when that feeling piece is happening alongside the kind of like intellectual connection, there's just this level of depth in relationships that's really um, profound and amazing. So, on the other side, as so often is the case in life, on the other side of that fear is such a huge reward. If we can just like find a way to be vulnerable and to open up to people without feeling like we need alcohol to do it, it's just huge reward. So yeah, the relationship one is a really, really big one. The how do I socialize? The where do I go to socialize? And like you said, the fact that these alcohol-free bars popping up now, tons of, I don't know if it's happening in Australia, but certainly in the UK and here in, in America, lots of alcohol-free drinks options coming onto the market, which is really cool. So you can now go to a bar and have something that 
that tastes good and feels sophisticated and grown up and not feel like the second class citizen who's like, start drinking soda water again, like, <laughs> you know, because that can be a deterrent as well. It's like, oh, what am I going to drink? Oh God, it's so boring. Like there's so, there aren't any options, you know, mm. and that can be a deterrent because a lot of people would be like, but I just really like the taste of alcohol to which I'll also be like, do you really? Because honestly, now that I don't drink, wine kind of tastes like poison. <laughs> like kind, of del- kind of delicious poison, but you can really, it tastes really toxic. Like mm. you really feel it now, you know? Yeah, that's so true. Is there any other benefits that you noticed that have been quite surprising for you when not drinking? Um, surprising. Well, I think the biggest, most surprising one actually is how much more confident I feel. Because again, I think that so many people drink to feel more confident. Like we're all familiar with the term Dutch courage or liquid courage, right? Mm. Um, and for many of us, yeah, I think we, we use alcohol to overcome social anxiety, to feel more confident in social situations. And I was, I've been just, and I'm still so surprised. Not still, because I've worked out what happened, but how it's happened. But I'm just so much more confident. And that happened really quickly, actually. And I think there was something about repeatedly putting myself in uncomfortable situations and being okay and realizing, oh, I can withstand this level of discomfort. Oh, I can withstand this painful situation. Oh, I can. And, I'm, and I come out of it the other side. It's like built, literally building kind of spiritual, emotional muscle. And there's a level of confidence that comes with that, which I've been really amazed by and so grateful for it's almost like you can put me in any situation now and I know I'm going to be okay Uh, because also I know that I know exactly what's coming out of my mouth (laughs) I know like I said I know exactly how I'm going to be getting home I don't have to worry about being taken advantage of don't have to worry about saying anything stupid or I might say something stupid but I'll be fully aware of it (laughs) you know it's kind of like there's this level of confidence that comes from just like being fully embodied wherever I am that's really great yeah and knowing that you got through that without the need for alcohol like that's amazing I don't need alcohol like I can it's like I think I I, I used to talk in the beginning a lot about how there's all these things that we have kind of like learned from the age that we started drinking which for many of us let's face it is not 18 or 21 or what's the legal drinking age in Australia 18. 18 for many of us we start drinking way before that like as soon as we look old enough to get served alcohol, it's generally when we start drinking, right? <laughs> um, for me, it was around 14, I think. And if I've been teaching myself or like outsourcing my confidence, my kind of joy, my hilarity, my flirtiness, if I've been outsourcing all of that stuff to alcohol my entire adult life, it's almost like I've forgotten or I haven't got given myself a chance to develop those things for myself Mm. so realizing I can be all those things without alcohol it's just like such an amazing confidence boost that it's yeah that's been that's been huge and then also like you know the first line of the subhead of my book is like the blissful sleep that comes from not drinking and just getting a really good night's sleep every night it's just amazing like how much more energy and optimism and confidence I have just from feeling rested every night. And I didn't realize how much sleep, how much drinking was impacting my sleep until I cut Mm. it out. And I love how you just said positivity. Like it's Mm. amazing how, I don't understand how there's no disconnection where 
or it's, I should say connection between the effect that alcohol has on our mood continuously, not just when you're drinking, it's the yeah. opposite, right? Like it's, it's yeah. a form of depressive that we exactly. still use it to numb our feelings. That's the funny thing. I keep coming. I'm like, we've all, we all know, we've all heard the term alcohol is a depressant. We all know that. And yet we all still think that alcohol is going to make us happier. Like we associate alcohol with being happy. It's just like this massive, again, like untruth that we've completely swallowed about alcohol whilst conveniently skipping over the fact we all know alcohol is depressant and it lowers our mood or at least it lowers our energy. I think it lowers our, energe our energetic frequency is what I think is, is oh, what absolutely. And the reason that that's appealing to us sometimes is because an overabundance of energy can actually feel quite frightening because we often don't have anywhere to put it because perhaps we live in a job where we don't have much creative freedom or self-expression or we live in a, or we're in a relationship where we're being subtly oppressed or emotionally controlled. Mm. And so when we have these feelings of like so much energy, so much optimism, it can be confusing because we don't have anywhere to put that in our lives. So I think that's kind of a really interesting, I noticed, I began to notice as well, I was really surprised that often I would, as soon as I started feeling like really happy naturally or really high naturally, I'd start craving a drink. So it wasn't like I was looking for the drink to make me feel high. It was almost like I was looking for the drink to damn that down because I felt too energized or too high, which I thought was really interesting because I'd always associated drinking with like, I want to energize myself. I want to get high. Yeah. So that wow. was a really interesting thing to notice as well. And I think that also speaks to our need to be a part of a tribe. Like if we're seen to be different or we're seen to step outside the norm, then that can also be, judged in a way that we're then could be exercised. So it's like being aware of how that affects our tribe mentality too. Oh, definitely. So much of it is about fitting in. Mm. And I think that's where, you know, I said like, it's, it's a biological need to feel like part of the group, to feel accepted mm. and to mark yourself as the outsider can be very dangerous. Mm. It can, to our nervous system, it can feel like we're putting ourselves in danger. So I think that that's like, why imagine this picture the scenario of like you've had a couple of drinks you know you've had enough you definitely don't want any more because you've got a big thing to do tomorrow and someone's like come on we're going to get shots in being the one to say no it's okay i don't want one it's just almost not an option yeah because you're going to be such an outsider in that situation it's like it, it, it can almost feel like i can feel it in my body now like you're going to be hated and what happens if you're hated you're going to be potentially hurt you know, it's actually a really real fear. Mm, absolutely. It is not actually founded in reality, you know. Mm, fascinating. And I would love to know, Do you, have you noticed now that, like, you're having a very much a voice for those people that are wanting to be a little bit more sober curious and stand out from the crowd? Have you noticed now with the launch of your book any other forms of pressure from society for this to be, like, not okay? Um, it's interesting. I mean, to be honest, all the feedback I've had is like, thank you. Thank you for making it okay to not drink. I mean, that's my big goal is really to, it's not to say like alcohol is evil. You're bad if you drink. None of this is about right and wrong and good and bad. I don't believe in that. This is about neutral mind, right? This is about like my goal being to make it as normal to not drink as it is to drink so that we genuinely have that choice. Like no one, you could say, no one's, no one's ever forced you to drink but actually really think about it. 
in our society as an adult human, is there any option as to whether or not you become a drinker? Mm. Really, there isn't. Like, it's just so, so the norm. The only people who don't drink are people who can't drink for whatever reason, you know? Yeah. Um, so I really, that's the, the overarching mission is to kind of make it as normal not to drink as it is to drink so that people genuinely have that choice. Um, so yeah, the feedback has, has been overwhelmingly that. I was, I was slightly nervous when the book first came out that I would have pushback from the kind of AA and recovery community. But, you know, this was potentially endangering people's recovery by saying you didn't have to necessarily, because I'm also like, I personally choose not to drink. I know that alcohol has no, I have no need for it in my life. But I'm also not saying you have to be completely abstinent. This is about you learning to trust yourself so much that you know you're always going to make 100% the right decision. For me, I know that, let's say 99.9% .9 of the time, for me, that decision is going to be to not drink. Yeah. Um, and it's really about cultivating that trust in you. But I also appreciate that for someone who has a severe addiction to alcohol, that's not an option, actually. And it needs to be a very black and white, like, no, this, this switch is at no. And that's where it stops, you know. But I've only, I think I've only had, in the whole time I've been talking about this, only two people have ever said to me, this is dangerous, you can't talk about it that way. Wow. And once, once I've then been able to explain my standpoint, they've kind of like, been like okay I see where you're coming from so that feels that's been great because I was nervous and I obviously not nervous because I was worried about being attacked but nervous because I really didn't want to endanger I didn't want to be saying anything dangerous you know or, or yes. potentially harmful for people so mm, if, I anything, that. It's just... if anything I've had people from who are in AA or doing the 12 steps who are just like thank you for this additional these additional tools this additional language I now get to use like that's what I've largely received. Mm, awesome. So, so amazing to see. And I think I agree. I think in Australia, it's going to be very well received. And because there are a lot of people that don't necessarily want to drink, but don't know how to go about it. And they're yeah. just doing it to be a part of the, you know, to be able to fit in. So I know your book, Sober Curious is out now. So I'll make sure I put yeah. links in the show, in the show notes. Thank um, you. And there's an audio book as well for people who like audio books. So yeah. Awesome. So good. And I'd love to dive in. Like, I mean, I, we could talk about that topic all day, but I think it's really, um, while I've got you, I really would love to talk a little bit about the, the numinous and however yeah. I say it. What do I say? It's numinous. Numinous. It's like, like luminous, but with an N. Numinous. Okay. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about your diving into the mystical tools and how you can use those to amplify your business and you're launching a new book coming June. Yes. So, I mean, it's, it's interesting when I first like pitched my sober curious book, I remember saying to my agent, I was like, is this a little bit weird to kind of go from, you know, mystical material girl, mystical worlds, modern spirituality to sober curious. And she was like, no, it makes complete sense. This is who you are. It's been very much a part of your journey. And I think I kind of have touched on this, but it's like by really thinking about myself as a spiritual being and finding tools to help me connect to that part of myself shone such a light on how I was using alcohol and why I was using alcohol. Then it was in fact, you know, healing tons of the things that were painful to me and unresolved in my being and my history that really helped me to realize I actually don't need alcohol. Like it's been, a, it's a complex journey and I do talk about it in Sober Curious, um, the link there. But yeah, I'm still very, very passionate about sort of demystifying the mystical. And the numinous was really about presenting all of these tools, be it like astrology, tarot, shamanism, um, yoga, meditation, etc. 
in a way that made them accessible and took away some of the the woo-woo connotations and made people realize or help people to understand that these can be these are all essentially just tools for helping you better know yourself for helping you better trust yourself for helping you hear the voice of your intuition for helping you to tap into the things that really make you come alive versus the things that society is telling you are right for you. And so, yeah, that's what I, you know, I continue, I continue very passionately to advocate for these, advocate for these tools for us, for our lives, for our sobriety, but also for our business. So yeah, my new, I, I have a new book out um, Jan, June 4th. And it's actually an astrology learning deck. Astrology has been one of the number one um, tools that I use to better understand myself and my place in the world. You know, and so I'm really, I've created this, it's called the Numinous Astro Deck and it's essentially a tool to help everyone and anyone understand their own birth chart so that they can kind of like use that as a way to explore their own strengths, weaknesses, challenges, um, and just kind of like, take a more zoomed out perspective on your life and your path and the different experiences, um, patterns, inherited things that might be impacting that so that you can really kind of feel stay, you can stay aligned with your path and what you're here to do. Um, and yeah, play to your strengths and also forgive yourself for your quote unquote weaknesses um, to look at the parts of your life that could maybe take some, use some extra attention, to look at parts of your life where maybe your parents, your society told you, you're no good at this, you can't do this, you can't follow this path, but maybe you'll see something in your birth chart that actually gives you the confidence to say, you know what, I am going to pursue X hobby, and maybe that can become a passion project for me. So yeah, the, the, the Numinous Astro Deck is out June 4th and it's um, a tool for learning astrology. But I'm really, really excited to bring that through. But again, still there's part of me that's kind of like, oh, I've got all these sober curious followers now and people reading it. Are they going to be like, she's weird? Because there is so much conditioning, right? And it goes back almost to like the witch trials. For anyone to be seen to be talking about the mystical realms as a form of self-empowerment, there's still so much conditioning around that being weird and out there and woo woo and not scientific enough and silly or girly. And it's kind of, it's very, it's very much can be very belittled, but I just speaking from personal experience and again, from witnessing so many people in my life use these tools as a way to feel super empowered, you know, and you can even get a bit more kind of political about it. It's like, these are deeply human technologies that are designed to help us make better choices for ourselves. Mm. Our society would kind of rather we didn't actually have that power to make choices for ourselves. Mm. You know, a lot of factions in society would rather we just towed the line and showed up and played the role that's been ascribed to us when actually, no, mm. we don't have to do that anymore. And in any form, it's about you don't have the answers. You've got to go find the answers outside of yourself. Exactly. Whereas it's all within, like, and if we wanted to get really woo-woo, like, how do you, how do you trust intuition? Like, what is intuition? There's no scientific proof around intuition, yet everyone knows how to trust their gut. Exactly. Even that word, intuition. Tuition, schooling, that comes from within, literally. And yet, our society would rather we go pay a doctor for that, we go pay a therapist for that, and I'm not 
bad mouth, like therapy is amazing. A good therapist will actually just help us listen to our own intuition notes and kind of what I believe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, would rather we go confused by this, by this thing, you know, feeling sad, drink this drink. Like this is the world that we live in, you know, there mm. are, our power has been taken for us in so many ways. And I think that a return to a more mystical mindset is actually an example of us reclaiming our power in many ways, mm. as is sober curiosity, because actually any time that we're surrendering our feelings, outsourcing our, our confidence, outsourcing our joy to this substance, we're taking that power away from ourselves. So I think mm. that's again, where the two things kind of meet. This is all about, like I said, like I said, when I was talking about the sobriety, helping people find ways to trust themselves over all of the external stuff, you know? Absolutely. And I think it's, it's not even like when you really understand it, it's not that woo woo. Like <laughs> and that's, I think that it's just the fear of the unknown when people look at tarot and go, Oh, that's, that's woo woo. Like, but what tarot really is, is like when you read a card, what you normally do, which is normal for every experience that you have, you internalize, how does that affect me? What does that make meaning for me? And it's a way for us to just tap back in internally to check in. Like, what does that mean for me? What um, knowledge or understanding am I going to take from that different perspective? Exactly. Exactly the same as if you're watching a film, watching a movie or reading a novel. Of course, the whole way through, you're comparing what you're seeing in that story to your own experience, consciously or subconsciously. And that what you're witnessing, what you're taking in from that artistic expression is telling you something about yourself. It's exactly the same thing. And I think when it comes to business now, like there's so much more awareness around being conscious as well as at the same time as being mindful and getting more heart centered. And I'm loving that conversation around getting more heart centered and trusting your inner knowing and knowing that you can go back in and go, okay, so what feels good? If I don't feel good doing this email sequence, why am I doing this email sequence? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And that's all inner trust, right? Exactly. What's off? Is it that this is just not my zone of genius and I need to pay someone to do that for me? Or is it that I don't truly believe in what I'm selling? Mm. Do I not, have I not truly created something that I really believe is going to help people? Am I doing it just to make money? Not that there's anything wrong with making money, but I don't think if you're see yourself as a conscious entrepreneur, that's enough. Mm. I think that's it, can't be, yeah. it can't be the only driver. It can't be the only driver. So if you're feeling icky about your email sequence, then ask yourself, do I just like need to pay someone else to do this? Cause I'm like, whatever, don't love it. Or is it that I actually need to tweak this product so that I truly believe in it. Mm. And I know it's going to help everyone who buys this product, you know? And sometimes it's actually a noticing of, am I being authentic in this moment? Because if you're like, and I'm using email sequence for a example, mm. but like often it's noticing, okay, am I trying to be somebody else by creating this or am I showing up authentically as myself and owning my own truth? Because when you do that, then you're so much more connected to yourself as well as other people. Totally. I love that. And it can be as we operate so often on autopilot. Mm. There's these scripts that we can just fall into because we've read it on tons of other people. It's just easier to use that language. We always kind of go there without mindlessly. Right. Yeah. Again, to bring it back to sober curiosity, I think the own, one of the ways that you can get really close to, why am I saying this thing in this moment, is with the clarity and the focus and the presence 
and the energy takes energy to pull yourself off that autopilot and like actually really focus and sure. really concentrate and really go, these are my words. This is my story. It takes energy. And yeah, alcohol is going to rob you of that ultimately. So I love how you've understood the, the purpose of the launch of your book and the impact that you would love to make in the world with Sober Curious. I would love to know, have you thought about what you would like your new book to create for the world? I am really, you know, I'm so committed to, again, destigmatizing and normalizing something that has been labeled, you know, girly, woo-woo, fluffy, not serious enough. And I think this, you know, it comes, it's quite, it's a maybe slightly personal <laughs> vendetta. As a blonde, very feminine woman, I've not been taken, there, there are times in my life where I've really not been taken seriously. And people have put kind of like judgments on me about being a bimbo, like what I'm capable of, all of these things. You know, many of us have experienced this on many different levels, right? And so I feel like, I'm really committed to, to showing people the power of astrology, the depth of astrology, the um, integrity, the, yeah, the validity of this, this ancient system for self-knowledge and self-understanding. Um, and to really, yeah, for people to, for it to be demystified in a way that, uh, that shows people we can, we can all be our own astrologers, right? For a long time, there's been this very hierarchical, idea around healing of all kinds actually we touched on it earlier right this person this special mystical person holds all of the power and we must be beholden to them or we must show up in a certain way or we must be a good girl to receive the, the, the wisdom or whatever I really want people to know that no you can do it all yourself you have it all inside of you you just need to trust yourself and this is just one tool that you can use to tap into that mm, love that I think that's amazing Oh, so excited for it. I'm really excited. I'm so, so glad that you shared that with us. <laughs> yes, cool. Well, I'm, I'm really excited to launch it. And there's going to be, we're going to be, I'm going to be launching a membership option from the Numinous as well called the Numinous Astrology School, where once you've got the deck, we're going to be doing monthly lessons on how to use it to really get deeper into different parts of your birth chart to help understand yourself and your path more deeply. Awesome. Awesome. That sounds great. Yeah. Be awesome. <laughs> Last couple of questions. So is there anything in particular that you, you, you wish you would get asked about astrology that you don't? Ooh. I mean, often people have the same questions, which is like, how do I read my birth chart? Do I, is, what's my rising sign? Um, what signs am I most compatible with? <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. I don't think there's anything I wish people would ask. No, I'm just, I'm just excited when anybody is curious about astrology because I think it shows that this person is curious about raising their consciousness mm. and understanding themselves on a deeper level. And ultimately that is an urge to heal yourself. Like if you really want to understand yourself, you really want to know yourself. That means looking into your shadows, looking into the dark places, look actually examining the traumas you might have experienced or that maybe your parents experienced and you've been carrying them, you know, mm. it actually, anyone having a, an interest in personal development at that level is, is really interested in healing themselves. And I think that the more of us can get to a place where we've processed a ton, like lots of that old, that we've actually looked, meaning we've actually looked at and chosen to take on the processing and integration of some of the more difficult things that have happened to us and to our families, the more of us are going to be able to show up in the world 
with the capacity to help other people do the same. So, you know, the ripple effect of that kind of self-healing, I think can be huge. And I'm really excited to be at the forefront of that. Mm, incredible incredible because i absolutely agree with everything you just said i think the more people work on themselves the less judgment there'll be in the world less hate less pain that we're inflicting on other people is is yeah really important so love that (laughs) how do you go about using these types of tools in your everyday so if you gave us an insight into your day how do you intertwine them into your life well with astrology for example i know my chart really well and i'm just going to grabbing my phone I'm going to show you. I know that people listening can't see, but I'm going to show you. There's an app I have on my phone where I can see today's, I don't know if you can see it, today's transit, like where the planets are today, mapped against my chart. So in the morning, after I've done my 20 minutes of meditation, I can just have a look and be like, oh, Mercury is like conjunct my sun today. That's great. That means it's a really great day for me to communicate. means my message is going to come through clear. I'll be confident in my words. So maybe I can like, book in a few extra meetings or, you know, that kind of, like literally that kind of thing. Oh, today, Neptune's going to be going over my ascendant. I might be a bit foggy and cloudy today. Maybe I'll cancel that podcast interview and I'll take a bit more time to journal or to meditate or to, so just really kind of almost thinking about it as like my own personal daily weather forecast. Like we check our phone for the weather. What am I going to wear today? (laughs) Where am I going to have that meeting? I can check my phone for my, personal astrology and be like okay I can map my day accordingly and if I can't change things well I can let myself off the hook if maybe I'm not like firing on all cylinders in that meeting you know Mm. so it's really like a little personal daily weather forecast love that love that that's so cool (laughs) (laughs) well I want to thank you so much for joining me today and to bringing so much light to both these topics to the mystic mystical but also to sober curious i think it's a an important mission that you're on and being able to bring light to that and bring words to those conversations and allow people to be able to talk about the impact that alcohol has on their lives without it being a negative or a judgment i think that's so important and i really want to acknowledge you for all the work that you're doing to bring that to light for everyone in the world oh thank you so much well thank you for having me on to have this conversation too and for using your platform to amplify this message i really appreciate it Oh, it's been my absolute pleasure. So thank you so much. Thanks again. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Next Level Life podcast. I'd love to hear any takeaways that you've had from today's episode. So please share with me on Instagram and Facebook. And if you feel so moved, please pass this episode on to any friends or family that you feel may benefit from it. Looking forward to speaking with you next week. And here's to taking your life to the next level.